Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about somatic sexual healing. But before we dive into this conversation, I wanted to make sure that you guys are taking care of yourself in the light of if you're living in the United States. If you are following the news, you probably heard a lot in past few days about Dr. Ford's testimonial uh, about the sexual assault allegation and the sexual assault that she experienced when she was in high school. And it's just not about her content of her speech that on its own can be very triggering. I personally, I was at the gym watching news and I couldn't hold back my tears thinking about all these women out there that they're struggling with all these memories and they have to defend themselves. I've been so lucky I genuinely think it's luck that I never experienced sexual assault, but I hear about it very frequently in my practice. Some of my clients, they tell me that the assault broke their soul and how they change, how it changed their relationship to their body. So I hope if you're getting bombarded with this messages, with this images, with this, with the trolls online making comments about Dr. Ford and kind of triggers this emotion, strong emotions in you. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I just wanted to know that you guys aware that there are free resources out there. I don't know if you're familiar with DRAIN. They have free national sexual assault hotline. So all you need to do, just call the number if you're feeling triggered, stressed out, and you can talk to a professional for free. Their number is 
eight hundred six five six four six seven three. And also, they have an online chat box that you can chat with a professional. I leave a link to the show notes there. Again, I personally find myself very distressed and lots of lots of compassion for Dr. Ford and her experiences and the way that that this kind of retelling her story opened the door for all sorts of harassment for her. So if you're having the similar experiences and similar reaction, I hope you reach out and get help. On a different note, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're talking about somatic sexual healing with Dr. Charlie Glickman. You might kind of wonder what is somatic sexual healing? What does that mean? So there are different ways that practitioners address sexual dysfunctions, relationship challenges. For example, I, as a licensed clinical psychologist, someone who practices sex therapy, my practice is all talk therapy. At times, I give people activities, homework that they can do at home with themselves, with the partner. Uh, we go very, very deep on different topics. So I always tell my clients that no conversation is off limit here, but we never touch each other. There's no touching involved. And I find for my practice, having that boundary helpful, it gives my clients and space to go deeper on some of the conversation that they they want to have without feeling threatened. But at, there are other professionals, sexological body worker, that they have a more hands-on approach. So there will be different levels of touching in this session. It's all education for educational purposes, but it is a different approach. So Dr. Charlie Glickman tells us about his approach uh, when it comes to somatic sexual healing. He shares some of the great tips and tools that he uses with his clients in order to support them moving forward in their healing journey. Dr. Charlie Glickman, as I mentioned, is a sex and relationship coach, a sexuality educator, a sexological body worker, and an internationally acclaimed speaker. He's been working in this field for over 25 years, and he has a wonderful book called The Ultimate Guide to Prostate Pleasure, Erotic Exploration for Men and Their Partners. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Charlie Glickman. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am very excited to have Dr. Charlie Glickman on our show today. Can I call you Dr. Charlie? Or Charlie. Charlie. I'm a very very informal kind of person. Perfect. Charlie, welcome to our show. I'm very excited about our topic. We're going to talk about somatic sexual healing, and that's actually something that I don't know much about. Oh, well, fantastic. It's something that I really love talking about, so what a nice way to start the day. Great, great. So tell me about what is somatic sexual healing and what does that entail? Well, it covers uh, somatic sexual healing. It's not an official name for a a set of practices or anything. It's sort of a a general category of uh, taking some of the practices that have been developed through somatic psychotherapy 
as well as some other modalities such as sexological body work to give people a chance to look at the way in which uh, their internal felt experience of their sexuality, their erotic desire, maybe some challenges that they have, how that shows up in their bodies, and then what we can do with that. So that, that's a long explanation. Let me let me give it in a slightly different way. I'm a big fan of therapy. I've I work with a therapist. I've done that for, you know, off and on for many, many years. There's a lot of value in therapy. But one of the limitations that therapy has is that because you're talking about events that happened in the past, even if it was just earlier that day or the day before, the therapist really has to rely on the client to be able to identify what their experience was, and then accurately describe it. With somatic work, uh, the practitioner can actually observe things that happen in the moment. And so it's, it's a different lens. It's sort of similar to the difference between somebody talking about how every time they you know, smell lemon, they have a very visceral response to it, versus somebody actually watching them have that visceral response and then talking about that or exploring that. So so I get to watch things happen in real time, which gives me a different perspective on whatever issue my clients are facing. No, I think it's, it's so such an important work because at times you're right with psychotherapy that just talk therapy, people kind of, we are missing as a therapist, a psychologist, component of work. For example, like with my clients, with eating disorder clients, we can talk about eating and food all day. And it's a different dynamic when we're eating in the session, introducing the food. And I think with sex is kind of similar in the sense that we can talk about the emotion and things that come up. But I think when you're adding the body work in addition to talk therapy, that can be very interesting. So I'm familiar with the somatic psychotherapy so kind of like, I guess, like part of it is checking in uh, with what's going on in the body. I'm not trained in it, but I'm kind of curious, how, did you, how do you integrate both part of the sexological body work and somatic therapy in your work? Well, since I'm not a therapist, I'm not a licensed clinician, you know, for some people, this modality works best when they also have the support of a therapist. And so they may work with me to have certain experiences and explore certain topics. And then they also have the support of a therapist to help them dig into that a little bit deeper as a, as a coach. So coaching is a slightly different approach than therapy. Sure. Uh, I, I can offer quite a bit of support about that, but there is a point after which it's really more appropriate to work with a licensed therapist. But so as an example, well, let's see. So so a client that I worked with once, this was a woman who was, she'd always had difficulty telling her husband how she liked to be touched. She was very particular about how she enjoyed touch. And sometimes her husband, they'd be sitting on the couch and she he would be stroking her hair, watching a movie or whatever. And she didn't enjoy that in that particular way, but she never knew how to say it. And so she would end up just enduring it and hoping that it would change. And then, of course, that enduring 
turns into annoyance, turns into resentment. And there's not a lot of room for erotic connection when we're feeling resentment. So our way of exploring that was we sat on the couch in my office and I sat with my arm around her in exactly the same way. And I started stroking her hair in the way that she had described that she didn't like. This is all you know talked about in advance and with, sure. with, with knowledge and consent. And then she got to practice different ways of setting the boundary of don't touch me like that. And I was able to give her feedback. So the first time she tried it, she took my arm, my wrist, and just moved it. And I said, well, you know, that was effective, but it also felt very jarring. And I could easily imagine going into a shame reaction, a rejection reaction around that. The next time she tried using her words, and they were so subtle and indirect that I was able to say to her, you know, if I wasn't paying really close attention, I would have had no idea that you were trying to set a boundary there. And so we were able to go back and forth. And after a certain number of tries, we found a way for her to communicate what her need was that was clear and authentic, but also not rejecting. And she went home that night and tried it with her husband. And he said, oh, okay, thanks for telling me. I had no idea. And so she had built up this whole story in her head about how he was going to react. And in this particular case, none of that happened. He was very appreciative. And uh, she emailed me the next day and said that she'd had no idea it could be that easy because she'd had so many fears. It's not always that easy in real life. <laughs> sure. but, but but this this is a really good example of how we build up these stories. And by giving her the opportunity to practice and find her words, the whole thing went much more smoothly uh, than it might have. What an interesting kind of like twist to the traditional way of kind of like talk therapy, because I know, as you mentioned, you're not a therapist, but it seems like I can at times there are therapists like coordinating care and working with other professionals. So I'm kind of curious about when it comes to sex and intimacy, what are some of the uh, referrals you get? What are some of the things that you're, you feel passionate about helping people navigate? For example, for us as psychologists, some people are generalists and some people are specialists. How is it for your, uh, your work as a coach? Oh, that's a really interesting question because I've been thinking about this a lot recently as my as my practice has grown and shifted and things i think one of my one of my favorite things is helping people find the the words and the language to really ask for what they want you know because as practitioners we can tell people all day long you have to communicate you have to tell your partner what you want and that's true but if you don't know what those things are, you can't describe them to somebody. It's so because you don't have the language. And this is particularly important, I find, for folks who are survivors of trauma, especially sexual assault, where sometimes the freeze response kicks in and the words go away. Um, and so one of my favorite things that I, that I feel most invested in is helping people figure out what are the things that they want to ask for, and then how do you do that in a way that's more likely 
to bring success. This is especially true when I'm working with couples because we're dealing with you know, interlocking triggers, right? One partner may ask for something in a way that triggers the second partner, their reaction triggers the first one, and we escalate from there. And so really getting in there and interrupting that cycle by helping them find different language for it, I, I love that. I love knowing that people can go home with new tools right away. What a wonderful and meaningful work in a sense that you're right. Sometimes I work with trauma survivors and it's just like hard for them when they feel triggered, as you mentioned, to put things in word and communicate it. And it's wonderful that it seems like through kind of experiential practices, you help them to find their voice. So tell us a little bit about some of the experiential practices that you use with your clients. Sure. There's two in particular, one of them, the first one comes from the sexological bodywork training. And it's a very simple exercise in boundaries. The way that it works is I, you know, I ask my client if I can take their hand. And so I'm sitting there holding their hand in mine. And then I say to them, you know, using whatever words feel natural to you, tell me to take my hands away. And then they do. And then I say, all right, when you're ready, tell me to put my hands back. And then they do. This sounds very simple, but I get a lot of really good information from it. You know, some people will simply say, stop touching me, very direct and clear. But other folks will say things like, do you mind stopping touching me? I'm ready for you to stop touching me. If it's okay, stop touching me. And you can hear how those become much less direct. And there's sometimes there's an element of compliance in there, or please don't get angry with me for telling you this. Uh, I did this exercise once with somebody who, when she told me to take my hands away, and I did, she burst into tears because I was literally the first man in her life who had ever stopped touching her when she said, uh, without justification without getting into an argument. And that was really groundbreaking for her. Even though it's a very subtle exercise, it, it helped her see how frequently she had had to justify and explain her boundaries rather than simply getting to have them. So that's a very simple exercise. Uh, there's another exercise that comes from Betty Martin's work. Uh, her website is bettymartin.org. And she has a series of videos based on her workshop, The Wheel of Consent. And one of the exercises that she created is called the three-minute game. For three minutes, I am touching my client's arm from the elbow down to the fingertips, so just the forearm and the hand, but only in the ways that they say. So scratches, circles, long strokes, gliding fingertips, squeezing, harder, slower, faster, softer, whatever their instructions are. And it's a way of practicing putting into words how you want to be touched. You know, if you've ever had the experience where either you or your partner, right, when the question comes up of uh, how do you like to be touched and people will say things like, oh, everything you do feels good or I like everything. I, I can promise you nobody likes everything because <laughs> I, I, I can 
I can come up with something you're not going to like if you, if you really want me to. So this is a practice in actually saying to somebody, do that a little bit softer or no, I meant do it this way. And it then becomes the foundation for being able to say to a partner, I really like it when you do little circles on my clitoris or when you're giving me a blowjob, you know, I like it if you squeeze the base of the shaft. And those are the kinds of things that partners really need to hear because there's so much variety in how people want to be touched. People change from day to day depending on how you're feeling. Um, And so being able to use your words becomes crucial. But again, there's a difference between telling somebody, oh, tell your partner what you want. But if you don't know how or you don't know how to describe it, it, it doesn't work. So the, yeah, the three-minute game, um, there's there's a couple of variations of it. They're on Betty's website, and I highly recommend it. I think that these are videos that really have the power to change people's sex lives for the better. I love that. And I think just like, I like that it has, as you were talking about, the added component of practicing it. Because you're right, at times we tell our clients that, oh, well, like, you know, let's just try to be more assertive, say this, that to your partner. But it's totally different in the moment about how are you going to say it? And also, how are you being received? How are you going to get received as far as like, are you clear about what you're saying? How are you presenting? And I love that you give them the a kind of a in the moment feedback about uh, how effective the communication is. And like, it, it's a very interesting way of kind of like uh, helping people with boundaries, setting up boundaries. Yeah, exactly. And because of my work, you know, I can do these exercises with my clients, but for practitioners who don't, for example, therapists who, depending on their local licensing requirements, you know, they may not be able to do these exercises with their clients. But if you're working with a couple, you can also guide them through it. And in fact, there's a lot of valuable information there. Being able to make the observation of, hey, you know, every time you tell your partner what you want, you smile. And it makes me wonder if maybe you're worried that they're going to get angry at you. You know, what's up with that? Or every time your partner gives you a correction, like do that a little slower or do that a little firmer. I don't know if you realize, but you rolled your eyes. And I can easily imagine that feeling very dismissive. You know, what's what's up with that, you two? So even though I can do these exercises with a client, there are ways for therapists to get a lot of valuable information when they're working with couples. Um, and, and I've even done these exercises over Skype mm-hmm. uh, with people I work with long distance. I've done these exercises. I, I had a client who didn't have romantic relationship at the time. So she brought her best friend in and they did the exercises together. So uh, there's a lot of ways that you can play with these, you know, depending on your license and your requirements, your comfort level, as well as what's possible for, for the people you're working with. Right. And again, as, as you mentioned, like I'm a psychologist and I'm licensed in California, and, you know, with our licensure, there are like definitely barriers with touching clients, which is totally understandable. So that's that's good that there are 
professionals like you that can kind of provide an additional uh, kind of support if it's needed. So tell me a little bit about what are some of the kind of misconception at times you hear from people when you're talking about kind of somatic sexual healing? Well, I think one of the big ones is that a lot of people assume that that means that I'm having sex with my clients. Um, people also assume this about sex therapy. Uh, right. A lot oh, of right? for sure. <laughs> yeah, like sex therapy. Does that mean right? It's I mean, and it, there's always that moment of explaining to people that sex therapy is therapy that focuses on sexuality in the same way that there are therapists who focus on grief or drug and alcohol use or divorce or whatever. But, you know, talking with your therapist about alcohol doesn't mean that you're sitting there doing shots with them. Right. Great analogy. Right. It's, but, but people have this idea about sex therapy. There are of course, practitioners who do act as surrogates, but you know, sex surrogates work in tandem with a therapist to make sure that things are all in alignment, right? So there's that, there's that safety factor there. I think another fear that comes up for folks or another concern is that if we're engaging in these exercises, that somehow that that's going to create an, an attachment between my client and myself that's going to get in the way of their other relationships. And my response to that is that, yes, there is an attachment there. Um, there's an attachment that happens in good therapy. And there's an attachment that happens you know, if, in all kinds of healing work. What makes it safe in this context is that those attachments are in service to the client's needs rather than my own personal desires, gratification, whatever it is. A, a good way to describe it, and this is one that I got from one of the trainings that I took, is that for all of the exercises that we do, there's always the question of what's the, what's the goal here? What's the thing that this person needs to learn from having this experience? And then once they've learned that, we don't do that exercise anymore because it's done. So for example, the the three-minute game, for some people being touched on the arm in the way that they want, it can, it can be very arousing. It can be very heart-opening to have somebody respond to your boundaries. Some people do find that it creates deeper feelings of connection between them and me. And that's all welcome. And we talk about that, right? It's, it's all part of the conversation. And because the exercise is in service to their healing and their growth, it's not a question about what does Charlie want? It's about what do they need? And so there, there is that boundary there. It's just a different boundary than people are necessarily used to. So it can take a little getting used to just navigating new water. Right. And I, I agree with you that with the, we call that erotic transferences in the session with clients and with like any other field. Like, for example, if you have lots of pain and your physician helps you with pain, you have this pleasant experiences, you might even develop these feelings and appreciation and attraction toward your physician. So I can totally see that it's yeah. definitely different. I can see if there is just more kind of somatic component to things. But yes, so I can see it can be part of a good work, but then I would imagine as a provider, uh, similar to us, 
you guys have good boundaries as far as like what you would do with that attraction. Absolutely. Uh, and, and some of the boundaries that are there, you know, they, they're, I, I understand why in psychotherapy, the boundary is no touching, right? I mean, maybe you shake somebody's hand with some clients, you might give them a hug goodbye on their way out, depending on the relationship and how they feel about it. It's very easy to make it a question about was there touch or was there not? because that's an objective measurement. Although, you know, we could get in, people frequently get into arguments about what actually happened, and that's a whole nother conversation. But for somatic work, the question becomes, what's the intention behind the touch? And how was that communicated? And how were the boundaries created? And how did you navigate the the erotic transference or the erotic connection that can sometimes happen. And those become much trickier questions if your concern is from a more legalistic perspective. Um, so I understand why these concerns come up. You know, depending on the modality, for example, with, with somatica, which is a particular somatic healing and coaching modality, the rules are you know, that there's no direct genital contact, you know, there's no kissing or anything like that too. And so there is like this, this a very clear boundary around the kinds of touch that can happen and don't happen. For example, there, there's other guidelines there, like making sure that your client knows what you're going to be doing together before it happens. Yeah. One of my close friend, uh, the person is psychologist and the person is doing the somatica training and oh, telling me this all this great information about how powerful it is. So yes, yeah. so is that something yeah. that uh, you've done? Is that something that you teach? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I actually I'm a certified somatica practitioner, and I've also taken the advanced training, and I use somatica with all of my clients because it it is so powerful. It's it's a remarkable training. And I do know that there are clinicians who have found ways to take the somatica modality and adapt it to their scope of practice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's powerful. And there's another somatic training or, or modality that I'm certified in called sexological bodywork. Sexological bodywork actually was for for several years, the women who developed somatica taught the sexological bodywork training, and then and then they developed somatica to fill in some of the areas that sexological bodywork doesn't address. So they they complement each other very nicely. But sexological bodywork is somatic education in erotic embodiment. So how do you stay present? and attuned with yourself and with your partner when you are in an erotic situation. And so sexological body work, uh, there can sometimes be hands-on work. You know, for example, some practitioners do an exercise called pleasure mapping, where there's actually, it's genital massage. The, The boundaries for sexological body work is that the practitioner stays fully clothed, All touch is one way from the practitioner to the client, and the practitioner is wearing gloves for all genital touch in order to maintain everybody's safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not about the, the way I describe it is somatica 
is about the relationship between practitioner and client, but there's no genital touch. Sexological body work is not so much about the relationship between them as much as the relationship that the client has to their own body. And as an example of that pleasure mapping, I always think of pleasure mapping as comparable to a wine tasting. You know, we're going to try lots of different kinds of touch, and then you're going to tell me on a scale, the way I like to do it is on a scale of one to 10, how does this feel to you, right? If I, if I rub your shoulders on a scale of one to 10, how good does that feel? Uh, and then, okay, so this particular move is a six. If I do a little firmer, does the number go up or does the number go down? If you, if, if I'm, you know, scratching your arm with my fingernails, right? Oh, that's a four. What happens if I do it slower? Oh, slower is a seven. And so pleasure mapping, and then there are also practitioners who do similar kinds of sessions that include uh, genital touch, right? Where they may help somebody map, oh, you know, you really like light pressure at first, but when you get more turned on, you like deeper pressure. And by giving people the language, they can then ask their partner for what they want. So for example, a practitioner might help somebody really find the words to tell their partner, I like really firm G-spot stimulation, but I like it very soft on my clitoris. And just to be able to say that to a partner vastly improves the likelihood that you're going to get what you want. And this is especially important when it comes to sexual touch, because many of us have no idea how to describe what feels good. We might know what it is when it happens, but how many of us can articulate to a partner, you know, I really like to have the head of my penis touched, but if you do it too long, I get overstimulated. So I need you to change it up every every few minutes. And I love the analogy to wine tasting, right? Kind of seeing what you like. And at times I feel we are at the kind of mercy of like what our previous partners, lovers taught them about pleasure and what, exactly. you know, what, what throughout the years we learn. But I love that there can be a menu and you can choose and explore. So I think that's fantastic. I think, and, and I think one of the ways that that shows up, you're right. You know, what, what often happens is we, learn what previous partners like, and then we try that with somebody new. And something that I have seen, particularly, there's a gendered dynamic here, which is that, you know, that that old stereotype, it's not really relevant now because we all have GPS in our cars and our phones. You know, that old joke about, you know, men who won't stop to ask for directions when they're lost. (laughs) Right. Right. Because knowing what to do is part of the act like a man box. Right, the, the stereotypical masculinity rules. And so you get these situations where guys are going into a, a sexual experience with a partner and he's thinking, well, I know what to do because this is the thing that my last three girlfriends liked. Mm-hmm. And then he does it. And it's not what this new partner likes. And then when she tries to say something about it to him, he goes into a shame rejection reaction and gets defensive. And then she gets upset about that. I mean, this, this is, you know, a, a stereotype, but sure. this is a very common situation. And the next thing you know, it's turned into a big fight. 
And then they end up coming to see me or you or, you know, a, a, a sex therapist, whoever they're coming to see. And they're convinced that what they have is a sexual problem. But what's really going on there is a combination of communication issues and unrealistic expectations of how sex works. And so it becomes this sort of multi-layered weave to kind of untangle, like, okay, how much of this is communication? How much of this is gender rules? How much of this is triggers? How much of this is other factors? And and again, you know, you can talk about these things uh, with a therapist and get a lot of value out of that. But if if this comes up, for example, during the three-minute game, mm-hmm. right, where she's giving him instructions and he's rolling his eyes or saying he doesn't want to do it or whatever it is, right, I can actually see that happen in real time. And uh, there's, there's a much more information to work with there. Right, right. And I think just there is... There is a huge difference between you. We're hearing the story, the narrative, like as a third person versus kind of observing it in the moment or being part of the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is part of why, I mean, I really, I understand the need for the boundaries because it takes a lot to be able to do this work and do it well. You know, with sexological body work, there is an extensive code of ethics. And, you know, it's available on the internet, on the Association for Sex, for Certified Sexological Body Workers. You know, I have links to resources like that on my webpage because I want my clients to really see the container that I'm working in. And I mentioned that because there are some incredible practitioners out there coming from many different trainings and perspectives. But if if somebody is looking for a practitioner to work with, I think it's really worth looking through their website carefully for, you know, what trainings have they taken? What's their code of ethics that they abide by? If it's not on their website, making that part of your initial phone call, you know, or initial meeting as a way of making sure that you're working with somebody who's really up to speed. You know, I have a question as you were talking about a sexological body part of thing. You know, it kind of reminds me to, about sexual surrogacy. And so tell me how is it similar or different? I know with surrogacy, uh, in contrary to most people think, like, you know, intercourse not wasn't necessarily part of the equation. It was kind of a practicing and learning the skills. So I'm kind of curious to learn about the differences and similarities. Oh, that's a great question. So you're right. The stereotype is that surrogates have sex with their clients every single time. And that's really not what happens. Mm-hmm. Surrogates do a lot of work with people to develop some of those foundational tools for intimacy and connection. A lot of people truly don't know how to tell what feel how to how to determine what feels good in their body because they go into anxiety very easily or they get triggered really easily or they were very deeply shamed as children around their bodies or around pleasure. And so surrogates work in tandem with a therapist to give people opportunities to develop some of those really those foundational skills. Sexological body work is probably not the right fit for somebody who's at that point in their trajectory. 
you know, the folks that sexological body workers work with tend to be doing more things like, like sexual healing work. I talked with a woman once about it who she had recently gotten divorced and, you know, her husband had been emotionally abusive and the sex had not been very good for her. And she was starting to get back out on the dating scene and she didn't know how to tell a potential partner what she liked because for many years she had been with her husband who, you know, honestly didn't care what she liked. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, And so for her, working with a sexological body worker gave her the opportunity to figure out how her body worked and what her responses were like, what kind of touch she enjoyed. And then she was able to to integrate that into her dating life. But I I think you can see how that's a different set Mm -hmm. of experiences than what surrogates work with. There are sexological body workers who do, who specialize in working with men who are dealing with erection difficulties and trying to figure out what's going on there. I have a colleague who works with a lot of gay men who are getting clean and sober, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out how to have a sex life when they're not wasted because because they haven't learned how to do that. Um, And so, you know, those aren't the same level of foundational skills. Um, and so I think that's the big difference is, is where are you in your, in your path? Oh, I love that. It was such a helpful way of putting it as far as like the scope of practice and what can people kind of look for depending on where they are as far as their treatment goal. I can talk to you about this for hours, but I want to make <laughs> sure that people are aware of all your wonderful book and all great content that you have. So tell us a little bit about if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? Well, I'm very easy to find. You can locate me uh, on the internet. My website is makesexeasy.com. Uh, that's my coaching page. For folks who are interested in coaching, I do uh, work with people in person here in Seattle. I also work with people over video. Uh, and that is surprisingly effective, I have to say. When I started doing video, I was a little nervous about it, but you can do a lot over Zoom and Skype these days. So that's powerful. You can also find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm everywhere as Charlie Glickman. So I'm very easy to track down that way as well. And since you mentioned my book, it's on Amazon. It's the ultimate guide to prostate pleasure, erotic exploration for men and their partners. And you know, because I'm passionate about helping people discover all the ways their bodies can feel good. And so uh, my co-author, Aislinn Amerzian and I are really proud of The Ultimate Guide to Prostate Pleasure. Awesome. So if you guys didn't get a chance to take a note, uh, you can find the information in the show notes. Charlie, it was so lovely to talk to you. And thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Charlie Glickman. I found it interesting that how our practices are different, but we're all working in the same goal of helping our clients to thrive sexually. And I think at times it's just a matter of preference, kind of seeing what would work with you and 
what are some of the benefits, pros and cons of working with each kind of modality? There are so many therapists that they have strong emotions around more hands-on approaches. But I mean, to me, it all comes to whether it's working for clients or not. You know, at times I talk about using sexual surrogate, uh, which is kind of frowned upon in licensed therapist circles because some of the people kind of talk about all this negative experience that they had in the past. But again, I think can be a great modality if it's a good fit. Also, at the end, I wanted to remind you guys that I'm doing this survey to see what kind of a topic would be a great fit for you guys. It takes maybe less than two minutes. It's five questions. I leave a link in the show notes. I'll leave it open by uh, for another month. So you have about three weeks to complete it and then I'll close it. Again, this is a show for you and please let me know how can I support you and what are some of the information you want to uh, learn more about. You can find the the survey in the show notes. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.